Father, we need you once again as your people have gathered for fellowship, for worship, and to be fed from your word. Father, help us now as we look at this text once again. Sanctify us according to this truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we saw that after Paul and Silas preached the gospel to the Thessalonians, some of them believed. This angered many of those Jews that were in Thessalonica. So they rallied up a street gang and went to drag Paul and Silas before the authorities. They couldn't find them. They go to the house of Jason where they were supposedly staying and accused them of not following the decrees of Caesar and following another king whose name is Jesus. And we took time to analyze that statement last week. Do Christians belong to another kingdom? Yes. The ways of Jesus oppose the ways of this world. Christians then must make a choice to suffer persecution and obey Christ or go the way of the world and live a life of ease. But you can't have it both ways. Persecution is inevitable in the Christian life. For those who are willing to live godly against the ways of the world, we are called to this. So these authorities were disturbed. They secured bail and they let Jason and the brothers go. Look at verse 10 of Acts 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So Jason, who has just paid some kind of bail or bond for their freedom, fearing for Paul and Silas's life, tell them to get out of town during the night. And they send them to a town called Berea. Let's bring up that map just so we can understand where Berea is. They're currently in Thessalonica, which is all the way in the top left. And 50 miles to the southwest is a town called Berea. It's a little off the beaten path of the main roads there. They probably went there to avoid the authorities and went to a town off the trail there. And this is where they spend the next few days. Let's go back to the text there. Of course, when they get there, they go to the Jewish synagogue, which is where they always go first. This is Paul's missionary strategy, as we've seen time and time again, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He went to the Jewish synagogue to open up the scriptures, to reason with them from the scriptures, to show them how it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead. Now, it seems like there's a lot of synagogues in this part of the world, and you might be wondering why and how are they coming across so many synagogues. Uh, seems a little unusual because this is not Israel. Well, two years before, in the year 49 AD, 49 AD, the Roman emperor Claudius um, expelled all the Jews out of Rome. There was a dispersion of Jews. And these Jews, over the next two years, had to resettle across the empire. And where they settled, they formed different synagogues. And Paul knows this. 
Paul knows he can continue going in Macedonia knowing he's going to come across Jews. And he knows these synagogues are there because of this dispersion, this expulsion of Jews from Rome. Now, at the other Jewish synagogues that they went to, they had trouble, didn't they? To say the least. He would preach, they'd get angry, he'd get thrown in jail, get beat up, go to another town. But Berea is different. And what makes it different? The people. Look at verse 11. Now, these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Who's ever heard or seen a church named after the Bereans? Berean Baptist Church or Berean Bible Church, you've probably seen it. If you've seen that, it's named after these people here in Acts chapter 17. And it's because they're well spoken of. Luke describes them, interestingly, as being more noble than the Jews that were in Thessalonica. The word noble here means they were well born or they were raised right. They were civilized in their behavior. They were open-minded and not afraid to think and be thoughtful of what they have heard. See, the Jews in Thessalonica were closed-minded. They heard what Paul was preaching. They heard the arguments from the scriptures, and they immediately shut down and wanted to attack him. But the Jews in Berea were more noble. They were more open to think and to think objectively about what Paul was saying. And this is a compliment that they receive from Luke. They're open to Paul's message and teaching. They're not persecuting him. They're not arguing against him or wanting to lock him up. They're not getting jealous or angry or rallying up a street gang like the other people did. They're easier to speak with because they're willing to listen. But more than that, why were they noble? How they were noble is described in the next couple phrases. Why? Number one, they received the word with all eagerness. They received the word. Paul would go in and not preach um, suggestions to them. He would preach the truth. He would open the scriptures, which is the Old Testament at this time, and show them the truth and argue with them, debate them as to why and pursue to try to persuade them why this is why they must obey. Now, how did they receive that? They received the word with all eagerness. This is interesting. The word receive means to be welcoming. They received it like a guest coming to their home. Now, you don't always receive guests well, don't you, right? Not all guests you are eager to have over your house. Or am I the only one? Okay. Sometimes you begrudgingly accept someone. Yeah, yeah, sure. You could stay a day or two or no more, please. But they receive the word. They hear it. Yeah, 
yeah, we're, we're ready to accept it and receive it. You could stay here a while, Paul. Not only that, they were eager, eagerly receiving. The word eager there means ready and willing. Ready and willing. They're much different than those other people in Thessalonica. Their attitude towards the word of God was one of great reverence and respect. They were excited to welcome God's word into their lives as one welcomes a desired guest. What a welcomed break for Paul and his team, right? He could preach the word and no one is going to try to beat him up here. He's preaching and they are just wanting more, eagerly receiving the word. But also, they were not only eager to welcome the word, that also led to this next thing. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the scriptures. They heard Paul's teaching, and then they went home and continued to think about it. They continue to examine it. Now, this is another interesting thing. The word examine here is a word that was used in trial cases. This is the language of a lawyer in a court of law. What does a lawyer do in a trial? His job is to wrestle with the evidence to convince the jury that the defendant is guilty or innocent, right? They examine the evidence. They go home and they see the eyewitness accounts. They see the physical DNA, the evidence, the timestamps, the videos, everything that might come about to try to argue their case and prove their point that this person is guilty or innocent. This is the word that's used of these Bereans. They examined it like a lawyer on trial. Looking at the evidence up, down, left, right. To see if what Paul was saying really matched what God had said. Because Paul is saying this is what God said. Now, unlike us today, the Bereans did not have personal copies of the Bible. They didn't have smartphones with Bible apps with every translation on it. No. There was no, the, the, the invention of having personal copies of the scriptures didn't happen until the days of the Reformation. Until Johann Gutenberg mass produced on the printing press the Bible. And now books and Bibles could be mass produced and people could have individual copies of God's word. That changed the world, did it not? But back in this time, it's not like they all went home to look at their personal copies of God's word that didn't exist. But they would meet in communities. They would probably go back to the synagogue where they likely had a scroll which they read from every Sabbath day to see if what Paul said, Isaiah said, matched up. And if Isaiah says that, then does that prove Paul's point? And what is Paul's point? It is necessary that the Christ, that the Messiah, should suffer and rise again from the dead. And now Paul is saying that this man, Jesus, of Nazareth, was this Messiah, born of David, and he suffered, 
and he rose again. They're examining all the evidence like a trial, like attorneys at trial, calling in expert witnesses, examining their law books. They knew how to treat the scripture. They didn't just accept what Paul said and said, oh yeah, sure, that's what I believe too. No, they took it and wanted to see because they know that Paul's words are only authoritative if they are also God's. You do know that what I say from this pulpit is only authoritative if it is what God has truly said. I have no authority except what God has proclaimed in his word. And these Bereans knew that. They wanted to see if what they were hearing in their preaching at the synagogue was God's word or not. Was it so that just this Jesus is the Messiah? They weren't just satisfied by hearing a sermon and going home with the rest of their lives. They took that sermon home with them, searching it discussing it, looking at the evidence. You know, many times people ask me how they can encourage me. How can you encourage your pastor? And there's lots of different ways to encourage me. But probably the example of the Bereans is probably the best. Knowing that people, number one, are eager to receive God's word, does so much for my soul. I love it when you come in and you tell me about your week and how the sermon is about to impact you or how you read ahead and you read what is coming up in the sermon because it's pretty easy to find out what I'm going to preach on, right? You just, the next verse is where we left off last week. And you read ahead and you're telling me, I can't wait to see what this means. I I studied it, but now I want to hear what you have to say. The eagerness, the readiness, the willingness to receive it encourages me. I don't want you to be wowed by me at all. I don't want you to be wowed with my delivery or the way I say things. I want to be encouraged when I see you worship God through this word. And I'm sure that Paul and Silas were so encouraged by this. So encouraged that daily they were coming back to Paul and Silas, having conversations. Okay, what else did God say? What else is the proof that the Messiah is Jesus? They were eager to receive the word. They were hungry. Give me more. Give me more. It also encourages me. When people take the time to study the scriptures on their own. And this is what these Bereans did. They heard the sermon. They went home to examine it some more. I want you to tell me how you have wrestled with the text. I want you to tell me how the Lord has impacted this word deep into your heart. That's how you can encourage me. I want to hear how you went home, you read it again, you studied it, you looked up the references I've mentioned in my sermon, and then tell me how it has changed you and what you have learned. I want to know what other questions you might have of this word 
and what God is showing you by his Holy Spirit in your heart. One of the ways you can do this, to continue to examine the word after we're done this morning, is just to have a simple conversation with your family. Either on the way home or over lunch. Ask each other the questions. Hey, what was the sermon about? Now, Brandon, growing up, whether he knew the answers or not, he would always cheat by saying, it was about Jesus, Dad. And he's right. And then we probe him further. Tell me more why it was about Jesus, Brandon. What was it about? What will you do as a result of this truth that you heard? See, this is the philosophy behind the Bereans' nobleness. The readiness, the eagerness, the willingness, not just to hear it here, but to take it outside of these walls and say, this scripture is so important that I must give it my all, not just on Sunday morning. And really, we must have a philosophy that says this, the sermon never ends. Now, I know you might feel sometimes it never ends for real. And I know sometimes it may seem like a hostage situation in here if I go past 12 o'clock. But this is what I want us to gather from these Bereans this morning. May the sermon, may the sermon never end. May you take it beyond here. I have only begun the sermon. Now it's your job to continue the sermon. To look at it, to study it, to discuss it with your family. If you're single and live alone, call another church member, a family member, a brother or sister in here, and discuss it over coffee or lunch. Take it further and deeper. There's a story of an old Puritan pastor who went to church one morning without his wife. She stayed home because she wasn't feeling well and He returned home earlier than usual. And she said to him, my dear, your sermon must have been done earlier today. In which the Puritan pastor remarked back to his wife, no, my dear, the sermon has only been spoken. It is yet to be done. May that be true of us. Amen. If this is God's word, then it deserves our all. It deserves our energy. It deserves our study. Studying the Bible is just not for pastors or Sunday school teachers. We are all called to dig in this word. Robert Layton, an old Puritan Scottish pastor, once wrote, the scriptures are the golden mines in which alone the abiding treasures of eternity are to be found, and therefore worthy of all digging and pains we can bestow on them. And trust me, it's painful sometimes. I'm in my study and I'm wrestling with this and trying to figure out what this means and making the connection, but that is the joy Sometimes people ask me, what's, what's the best part of being a pastor? It's probably getting up in front of everyone Sunday morning and speaking, right? 
Well, that's fun and I love to do that. But really the true joy for me is in my study. It's to sit down with God's word, with the books, to get into the languages and to have God minister to my heart and mind the scriptures. That I could preach it in a way that just gets the ball rolling. Where when you leave from here, you can take it on your own and continue it where it ought to go in the power of the Spirit. Yes, Robert Layton, the scriptures are worthy of all digging and pains we can bestow on them. Another Puritan pastor, English pastor, Thomas Manton, said, Jewels do not lie upon the surface. You must get into the caverns and dark receptacles of the earth for them. No more do truths lie in the surface and outside of an expression. The beauty and glory of the scriptures is within and it must be fetched out with much study and prayer. See, this is what these Bereans are doing, aren't they? They're examining the scriptures. I think sometimes we don't examine it like a lawyer at trial trying to convince a jury of the truth. Sometimes we look at the scriptures and just skim over it with a glancing glance, a glancing glance, scared of almost like we're driving down Manatee Avenue trying to pretend we didn't see how much higher the gas price just went. There's a big difference in how we approach the scriptures, but the beauty and glory of the scriptures is within. Jewels do not lie on the surface. They must be dug deep from the ground. Or J.C. Ryle, Bishop of Liverpool, who made Liverpool famous and even better than the Beatles ever did. Happy is that man who possesses a Bible. Happy is still is he who reads it. Happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it and makes it the rule of his faith and practice. We can't claim to love God's word if the only time we take it out is right here. We can't. We can't pretend like we love it and we are obeying it and that we are people of the book if the book only comes out once a week. We must be like the Bereans in that we hear the sermon and then we go to examine it to see if what they said was true. If we're going to be people of the book, then we must read the book, study the book, live the book, defend the book. We must be eager to receive and be noble and examine it day and day and day. This will bless and feed your soul. So that when the world asks such silly questions, such as, what is a woman? By the way, do you know what a woman is? Do you know what a woman is? We can say, we know. And how do we know? And guess what? You don't even have to be a biologist to know. Because God has spoken it in his book. What is a woman? A woman is created as a biological female. 
XX chromosomes, made in the image of her creator. She possesses worth, dignity, and honor. And being an image bearer of God, she is as equally honorable as a man, as she is fearfully and wonderfully made, but yet is distinct from a man. She possesses God-given characteristics, not only in her anatomy, but also rooted deep within her that make her uniquely feminine. That is a woman. And how can you say that, Dan? Because that's what the book says. And that's what common sense says. And so if we're going to be Bereans, if we're going to be people of the book, that we must have a book. Do you have a book? Do you have a copy of God's word? Bring your Bibles on Sunday morning. Open them up when we're preaching. The verses are on the screen, but that's just so if you have a different translation than I do, you can follow along with what I'm saying and study it, investigate it, examine it, take notes so that you can remember what was said before. And if you don't, it's recorded. Go home and watch it again. Let the word marinate within you. We're so quick to run off to lunch and, or to watch the kickoff of the football game, but After Sunday is done, take time to reflect on the sermon. Pray for your understanding. Allow God's word to do its work in your heart. And we must approach with eager expectations and prepare ourselves well for Sunday morning. How do you prepare yourself for Sunday morning? Well, you probably shouldn't stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning Saturday night so that you're tired and, and confused and weary when you come in here then read ahead read ahead if you don't know how far i'm going to go in Acts 17 read the whole chapter read the chapter and marinate examine it be like a berean and and approach it with great eagerness as if this is your last meal on earth so what's the result of this look at verse 12 of Acts 17 Many of them, therefore, believed. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The gospel saves. Paul is preaching. They're looking at the scriptures. They're coming back to Paul every day. They're asking more questions. They're wanting more answers. They're hungry And then they come to the place where they see that the evidence matches the argument. And that Paul is right. That this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. And therefore, they believe in him. And people with high standing, these Greek women of high standing as well as the men. Important Gentiles are believing as well as these Jews But again, even though the Jews in this synagogue were not posing a problem, here there arises more problems. Again, whenever the truth is proclaimed, Satan will attack it. Look at verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. The same people, the same street gang that drove them out of town 
50 miles away. And they hate him so much that they go 50 miles out of the way to go find where Paul is. Because they hear that he's preaching there also. He's, the people are believing his message. And they're trusting in Jesus as the Messiah. And they come there agitating and stirring up the crowds. So much so that look at verse 14. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. Again, they have to ship Paul and Silas away. But what does persecution do for Paul? The sovereign hand of God uses persecution just a way for him to keep moving throughout the empire. But Paul, but Timothy and Silas stayed there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, Athens, Greece. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Again, we see the faithfulness of Paul. Again, the rock bed foundation of his ministry is again the word of God. And for people to hear the word of God and believe the word of God and repent of what the word of God is telling them to repent of. And turn to Jesus Christ for their salvation and forgiveness of sins. It's always the word of God. It's the word of God that leaves its mark in Berea. It's the word of God that left a mark in Thessalonica. And as we read in Thessalonians, it was the word of God which sounded forth echoing throughout the Roman Empire because those people's lives were forever changed. And if we're ever going to be like that, then friends, we must be people of the book. We must let the sermon continue once we leave this room. We must dig. I've only begun it. You must continue it. You must ask yourself the question when you leave here every Sunday. Okay, I know what God has said. Now what must I do? This is not time filler. This is time that God has given to you by his grace to use in your life to mature you in your Christian walk so that you could know him and love him and repent of sin and live holy lives. Stand up in a world that's evil and that hates God and proclaims the truth. Let's be people of the book, shall we? Let's use these Bereans as our examples of how a church and must operate to dig and look and be eager and to be willing and to be ready to do all that God has said. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your time that you've given us this morning. Lord, you know where we all are. You know our position with God's word. The habits that we have in our life. Father, I pray that Northwest Baptist Church will be a people of the book. A people dedicated to your word not just showing up in here with an open Bible, but when we leave here, that we read it every day, that we have a discipline and a habit 
of opening it and reading it and obeying it. So we'll be ready to stand against the evil one. We'll be ready to answer the foolishness of the world when they come with all of their nonsense. That we proclaim truth in a dark world. Help us, God, to know the truth, to live the truth, and to be people of this book. In your name we pray, amen.